Verse 1. Now, these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priest, whom he consecrated to minister as priest. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Of course, we saw that in the book of Leviticus. And they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron, the priest, that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting. Now remember, the tabernacle of meeting is that central place of worship, the tent, sacrifices. It's all right there at the tabernacle of meeting. To do the work of the tabernacle. Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. And on the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. So here's our opening elements to this chapter tonight, chapter 3, where we're going to we get a, a, rec, uh, a record of what happened, of course, with the two sons, Nadab and Abihu, back in Leviticus. So they're gone. Eleazar and Ithamar step up, and they're going to serve with their dad. They're priests. Not everyone's a priest. The Levites are helping the priests, but they're not priests. Even in the time of Jesus, we see the priests did the priestly work, and the Levites did the practical work. And so this is the origin where that all began 1,500 years, even before the time of Christ. Aaron is the priest. And God has given the Levites to himself, and they're to serve in this whole tabernacle process. So remember, in the Ten Commandments and the law, the Ten Commandments and moral law, the civil law for the government, the society, but then the religious law for how God's worshipped, how he's approached. And with 2.5 million people sinning every day and making mistakes, the animal sacrificial system, the showbread, the lamp, the altar of incense, there's a lot going on there. There's a, there's a lot to do. And because they're going to be mobile... They're going to pack up and tear down like a, a camping, you know, like when you go camping. But it's a massive amount of work. And so this tribe is set apart to do all that. So Aaron is the high priest, and God's given these people to help him and his sons to do everything God has entrusted to them to be the central place of worship. Remember, the tabernacle is in the middle of the 12 tribes, Joseph subdivided Manasseh and Ephraim, and the Levites are there in the middle. And we're going to get more of this as we go forward tonight. But... It's noteworthy that as these Levites were called to serve, it says they're going to attend to the needs of Aaron. God's going to provide help for Aaron for what he needs to do. It's always more than one person or one woman. We're meant to be interdependent, and God always builds a team. He uses individuals, but he uses us collectively. And we see that in this book. We certainly see it in the New Testament, like Corinthians, where God gives a different gift to everybody, but everyone contributes to various ministries, various gifts, but they all work for one, to the glory of all, to the glory of Christ, First Corinthians 12 tells us. And so God's teaching them their individual place, their specific place, and that they're all part of a function, just like we are as a local church. Christ is the head, and we all have different functions in this church, as it's our home church. 
and we all have different things that we do. Some things are informal, like we show up early and want to help out, or we just we see new people, and some people naturally reach out to new people. That's how they are. They want to make friends. They're, they're endearing, and they, they do stuff like that. Some people come, and they got to set up and tear down. Some people are serving in the children's ministry. Some people are on standby. Some people we know have historically been our ministry team, and we need them to usher or help out. There's people that are here to do security to keep the ground safe for us. If you're here on a Saturday, Mike Lucas is going to be the last one to make sure that you got home safely. And if you're parked over here, he's going to make sure that as you're leaving, you're good. There's various things that we all do at different times. And even like with the women being here on Saturday, there's different things that different women did. And so we all are individuals and we all have our place and our responsibilities. And what we go through tonight, we're going to see a lot of that. But the key thought is they're going to attend to the needs of the vision that God's entrusted to Aaron. They're going to attend to the needs of the whole congregation. Remember, Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is what? Servant of all. There's nothing new under the sun. And everything in the Old Testament is a shadow, a preview of things to come. And even here, it's like, hey, there, it's a privilege to be a Levite. It's a privilege to serve the Lord full time in manual labor, which most of the Levites had, is physical work that they did, and it's a privilege. And they're serving the Lord, and they're serving his people. You can't serve the Lord and not serve his people, right? You learn that early on in ministry. like, oh, I want to be used by God. Well, serve people who don't say thank you, and serve people who maybe treat you terribly, and serve people who will might try and destroy your life in <laughs> without even meaning to, or actually maliciously meaning to. When you become available to Christ and you say, I'm going to serve the Lord, it's the end of us. I must decrease, he must increase, and we serve people. So to serve the Lord and to serve Aaron, the leadership, the high priest, and our high priest is Jesus, we're going to serve people. We're going to serve the congregation. Remember, the congregations are always made up of sinful people trying to figure it out and find their way in life. And they're going to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. There's work of the church, again, structured, unstructured. But know this, you can always pray for the leadership. You can always pray for our events. And that's a way to support this church with your time and energy to stand in the gap and pray for us. If you never know what your ministry is and you feel like you can't step up and be available for extra things, you can always pray for the things happening in the church and the people of the church. Because... That undergirds everything, of course, the work of the tabernacle. And they are to they were to be entirely given to that service. So for the Levites, they were completely given to serving the Lord in this capacity. Now, if we're from the tribe of Gad or Asher, Manasseh, Ephraim, one of those tribes, Naphtali, we we would want to serve the Lord, but you're conscripted, you're in the army, you're over 20, and you're serving the Lord with a sword at your side. Like you're in the military and you're part of the draft and you're being prepared for war as this nation has to have conflict to enter into what God, the battle is the Lord's, but we prepare ourselves for it. But if you're a Levite, it's all about animal sacrifices, ministering to the needs of the people, ministering under the high priest Aaron and his sons to get things done and to do it right, which we're really going to see as we go forward. Now, the outsider doesn't come near it. We'll see that again later on. God has an order. It's the exact order. And you can't just decide, like, I want to do this because I want to do this. That just doesn't work. In America, if you're entrepreneurial, good for you. There's all kinds of opportunities that arise in America. It's the greatest country in the world. And you have opportunities here you just do not have at the same level in any other country in the world. And that's what has made this country so great 
is that you can say like, hey, I want to build a business with a coffee shop. I want to build a business making sandals and shoes. I want to, you know, I'm talking to John Cobian from Cobian Sandals the last couple of weeks, and he sent us up some sandals. It's like John Cobian worked for Flohos way back in the day in the 80s, and they had a vision for his own company. They used the company name just like Bob Hurley. Instead of Billabong, he becomes Hurley, changes the sign out front. Like this is a great country where you can do stuff like that. Like I, I want to open my own coffee shop. My son Luke has a trademark reserved for a coffee company. He did it a couple years ago when he was a manager for Starbucks. He had a vision for how to do coffee in an incredible way. He's got the logos, artworks, everything, but, you know, he's working for Hyundai. So maybe somewhere down the road, Pop might do the coffee shop, you know, but you just, you never know. But that's what makes it great about being American. But sometimes as American, we think because we can do it that way that we think we can do church that way. Church is not an IBM corporation. Church is not a mom-and-pop shop. Church is the house of worship, the pillar of truth, where Jesus Christ is the head, and he calls, and whom he calls is called, and if you're not called, you're not called to that capacity. And one of the problems that we've had in the church, historically in America, is that people be in positions of leadership who are not called, and they're, in, they're doing things they shouldn't be doing, and they're not called, and it's just the flesh, and it's just their own stuff, and it's going to prove itself as chaff on the day of the Lord. So what we really want to do is align our thinking, align our hearts with the word of God for us personally and be available to serve people and fulfill the call that he has for us. Now, also with the Levites, he says that instead of the firstborn of every household of Israel, every tribe being his, and he's not about animal sacrifice, excuse me, God's not about human sacrifice, it's about consecration. And the firstborn belongs to the Lord. And why, why wouldn't they belong to the Lord? Everything we have is from the Lord. Like I've said before, the moment these people that are blaspheming Jesus around our country right now and fighting God, the moment you blaspheme Jesus, why are you alive? Why would God keep you alive? All things are made by Christ and for Christ and him. All things consist. Why would you stay alive? If you're not serving Jesus, you're not serving your purpose on this planet, your purpose in creation. From one cell in the womb, you're created to be redeemed to serve Jesus Christ. And, and so... Whatever opens the womb is the Lord's. Your heart's beating, my heart's beating because of the Lord. Every beat of the heart is from the Lord. We're here because of the Lord. And when we're done, we're done. Soon and very soon, like we're singing, but it's, evidently it's not that day yet, right? So we're all here. But our whole purpose of existence revolves around Jesus Christ, the center of the universe. Jesus be the center of my life. The tabernacle is the center of the tribes. The cloud, the fire, by day, by night. He's in the center. Jesus be the center. And we exist for that. So the firstborn was set apart of even the animals of the Israelites as to the Lord. But the interesting thing about the firstborn here is the contrast with the firstborn being struck in the land of Egypt. Did you catch that? With the Lord, you're hot or cold, but lukewarm never works. Revelation chapter 3, the lukewarm church, Laodicea is lukewarm never works. See, God puts a premium on passion, all in or all out. There's light, there's darkness, there's justification, there's condemnation. There's no middle ground. There's not good people in heaven. There's people radically saved by the blood of Jesus Christ or radically perishing because they're unbelief and rejecting faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that. I think we do. I sure hope you do. You certainly do sitting under my teaching. You, you can choose to believe it or not. But like Jesus said, who's not for me is against me. John the Baptist said, you know, well, it says in John chapter 3, he who has the Son has the Father and has life. Who does not have the Son does not have the Father, and the wrath of God abides upon him. That's it. And we need to be reminded of that every week because we, 
our society wants to pull us toward good people and charitable deeds earn our way to heaven, they don't at all. You're all in or you're not in. And in this text, it's very interesting because God says, the firstborn is mine because I've redeemed you and you're in a covenant with me. Egypt, I struck down the firstborn because they fought me and they worshiped their gods and they wrestled against me. For this cause, I raised up Pharaoh to show myself strong against him as an example to all future generations of those who fight the Lord that you never fight the Lord and win. You'll always lose. But if you surrender to the Lord, that's when you win. Because through surrender, through faith and humility, we have redemption. Isn't it interesting that you're either completely struck down by the angel of death, the firstborn of Egypt, when God's judging those people, or you are completely set apart to the Lord, completely his, with a capital M-I-N-E, mine, he says. There it is. So even here in Numbers chapter 3, well, it's like Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 31, that at the end of the age, when the king comes, he gathers everyone together and he separates the sheep from the goats. And the sheep are mine, says the Lord. And the goats, they're like the firstborn in Egypt. Everything beautiful, praiseworthy, virtuous comes from the Lord. Every good gift comes from the Father of light with whom there is no shadow of turning. We are a blessed people. What can be more blessed than to wake up on October 6th and have the Lord speak in heaven over your life? They're mine. She's mine. He's mine. Don't you want to be his? I mean, the alternative is to be Pharaoh, to identify with Pharaoh. There's a lot of people identifying with Pharaoh. At the bottom of the Red Sea is not where we want to be. We want to be walking right through the coagulated sea with all the promises by faith. Now we read on. We're his, and don't, we should never take that for granted. He gives us a new name, it says in Revelation with the churches. He gives them a new name, which no one knows yet. Like a new name. A new name. Like you got a good name, that like God gave you your name, but he's got a new name, a heavenly name. We've got a heavenly body. We're just, Bobby just sang the song about a heavenly body. We're going to be like him. So we get a new name, a new body. I wonder if the new name is reflective of what we did with time, space, and matter. See, because he gives new names to like Abram, to Abraham, father of many nations. He gives new names based upon what he's going to do in the future. But heaven's already a sealed deal. It'd be, so the new name is somewhat based upon probably previous faithfulness and eternal purposes and plans. We read on in verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by their father's house, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. So this is the first census with Levi. The the Levites, this deals with every uh, male a month old or above. So that includes my grandkid, my grandsons, Velzy and Wilkie. They make the cut. They're, They're more than a month old, right? So every male from a month old. So this is the broader census that we get here. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord, verse 16, as he was commanded. There were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. So whenever dealing with the Levites going forward in the rest of the Old Testament, the tribe of Levi, the Levites are subdivided in three. The Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites. Now the Kohathites are the ones that Moses and Aaron are in that line. So they're the priests with the high priesthood comes through the Kohathites where the Gershonites and the Marites do other things, which we're going to see in just a moment. 
But the subdivision of Levi is three. These three descendants of the original Levi from the son of Jacob, Jacob's son Levi, had these three children. So they were Jacob's grandchildren were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari through Levi. And so everything that goes on in the priesthood is subdivided by one of these three sons of Levi descendants. And these are the names of the son of Gershon by their families, Libni, Shimei, and the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel, and the sons of Merari by their families, Mahalil, Mahali, and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites by their father's house. So another generation goes down. Verse 21. From Gershon came the family of Libanites and the family of the Shemites. These were the families of the Gershonites, those who are numbered according to the number of all males from a month old and above. Of those who are numbered, there were 7,500. The families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. So just like the 12 tribes of Israel, you get your direction you're facing, they're going to face westward. And the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites was Eliph, Eliasaph, the son of Lael. The duties of the children of Gershonites is important. In the tabernacle meeting, including the tabernacle, the tent with its coverings, the screen for the door in the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle, the altar and their courts, according to all the work related to them. So they've got all the tent stuff, all the heavy, all the coverings, all the heavy gear. Verse 27. From Kohath, from the Kohath came the family of Amorites, the family of the Izaharites, the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Zuliites. These were the families of the Kohathites, according to the number of all the males from a month old and above. There were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. The families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. And the leader of the father's house of the family of the Kohathites was Elazaphon, the son of Uziel. Their duty included the ark, the table, that's the table of showbread, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen, and all the work related to them. So they've got the, they've got the spirit, like the more, I don't want to say more spiritual, but the, the, the precious things from within the tabernacle. Verse 32, And Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. So here's Eleazar, the son of Aaron, he's going to be a future high priest himself. He's over everything. <laughs> There's always got to be like the job foreman, right? Someone's got to be the final boss to get things done. Someone has to say this meeting's over or we're letting you go or we're going to hire him. You can do quarterback by committee, but as they say, too many chefs spoil the stew. And sooner or later, there's somebody that God holds responsible, responsible to make the call. And we'll all give an account for it, whatever our stewardship is in that sense. And Eliezer was over that. And to whom much is given, much is required. And I, I mentioned this on Saturday, but being with Luke Caldwell from the band Grand Prize this last week and spending a couple hours with him up in Los Angeles, we were just talking about how serious spiritual leadership is at any time let alone right now during COVID and all the challenges that are facing senior pastors, the assistant pastors, leadership, legal leadership with board of directors and things like that. What a challenging time it has been for all leadership, even political leadership, to try and understand the times and make wise decisions based upon those signs that we're just talking about. What a great responsibility it is for someone like Franklin Graham to do all that he does and how grateful we are for someone like Franklin Graham to just really be at the forefront and willing to take the attacks against him, as well as his daughter, Cassie, and then his, his sister, Angram Lotz, 
just amazing how people like that and that kind of leadership and that kind of high visibility to be able to handle all the attacks on them and stand strong for the rest of us to appreciate that. And then even things like for Calvary Chapel with Skip Isaac and Greg Laurie and guys like that who are, have tremendous visibility. I mean, when Donald Trump's doing Easter service and you're the speaker and Phil Wickham's your worship leader, that's a tremendous responsibility, huge upon Greg Laurie. Picked up like a quarter million new followers in one day, or I think it was more than that actually. I think it was a quarter million commitments on Easter Sunday through that broadcast, more than like, I think it was more than all the Harvest Crusades put together, if I remember what I read correctly at Anaheim Stadium. But even like for Phil Wickham, like you think Phil Wickham leading worship with a couple hundred kids up here at uh, Brethren School up here off in La Salle 20 years ago during the lunch chapel. 20 years ago, we were doing that when he was 16. And then 20 years later, to be leading worship for President Trump and Greg Laurie for Easter Sunday for the entire nation. We're all waiting the balances, wondering what in the world is going on. But to whom much is given, much is required. So God bless those guys, and Lord bless them. We should be praying for people like Skip and Greg and Phil and Jeremy. Jeremy's movie is still number one, I think, right? It was number one in the theater right before it all went down. The Jeremy Camp, I still believe, movie. You know, Regal's, I saw Regal's closing all their theaters, I guess. They're getting ready to close everything. It's a brave new world out there. Nothing's the same. But we're, we're the body of Christ. We have leaders, and we need to respect the leaders, and we need to pray for those leaders and support those leaders and, and encourage them however we can. And like I said, we talked about this. We don't want to be failed leaders in whatever God's entrusted to us. So now more than ever, we need to be very clear, very deliberate, very absolute on what is our stewardship and being super faithful to fulfill it, just like Eliezer, to whom much is given, much is required. And every morning in the wilderness for 38 years, Eliezer would wake up, and Pop is uh, the high priest, so everything but Yom Kippur was in his wheelhouse, Eliezer, and he had to get it done. He had to get it done. Every day, the people bringing their sacrifices. Every day, you know, the ashes being disposed of properly. Ultimately, he had to delegate it to the right people and make sure it got done. So we need to pray for our leaders, and we also need to be willing to be leaders and to, to not strive for anything more than what God has for us, but certainly not to settle for anything less than what God has for us, but to be faithful. Verse 33. Now, the third group of these Levites was the Merarites. They came... Uh, the family of the Mahalites, the family of the Mushites, these were the families of Merari, and those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above were 6,200. And the leaders of the father's house of the families of Merari were Zareel, the son of Abahel. These were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. And the appointed duty of the children of Merari included the boards, the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, all the work relating to them, the pillars, the courts all around, their sockets and their pegs and their courts. This is the heavy lifting. This is the foundational stuff for the tabernacle. The, the estimated weight on this is tons. This is a lot of weight. And these guys got to move this stuff every time they break down camp and get going. And then they got to set it all up every time they set up camp. This is, this is serious work for the Maorites. Verse 38. Moreover, those who are to camp before the tabernacle... On the east, before the tabernacle meeting, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was to be put to death. And all who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord by their families, all the males from a month old and above, 22,000. Then the Lord said to Moses, number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above and take a number of their names. So now the switch is on. So we have the the... 
the Levites numbered, but now we got to get the, because the Levites are for the firstborn. Remember that it's, it's the switch, right? So the firstborn for all Israel, the Levites replaced them, right? That's what God said. So the firstborn is his, but instead of taking the firstborn of every person in Israel, he's going to take the Levites instead. So we're comparing numbers. And so we read that the firstborn males, the Israelites from a month old and above, take the number of their names, verse 40, and you shall take the Levites for me, I'm the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock, livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him. And all the firstborn males, according to the number of the names from a month old and above, those who were numbered them, were 22,273. Then the Lord said to Moses, spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn number of Israel. Remember, there's a discrepancy there, right? There's a, there's a number difference. Who are more than the number of Levites, you shall take a five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in the currency of the shekel and the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras, and you shall... Give the money which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and Moses. So Moses took all the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as Moses has commanded, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So here is something worth noting there's two things. First of all, what's fair and right. So God's matching up the numbers. And it's been pointed out that most likely the number of the Israelites firstborn, whatever opens the womb, would be much higher than this based upon the total volume of Israelites that came out of the land. And it's very probable that with this census and the comparative of the firstborn Israelite to the Levite in exchange is the Israelites who were born since coming out of Egypt. David Guzik, who used to pastor Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, and has a wonderful commentary on the Bible. It's so good. It's actually my favorite these days, David Guzik. He goes into this really well, and he cites different people. Because the, the numbers would be so much more than that, than the 20,237. 20, the firstborn would be much more than that. It'd be like profoundly more than that. And so the suggestion is, that the actual number that God is using here at the start of this census, because they're starting, they're starting everything. It's like, it's a startup. It's a startup. It's like a startup company. It's like, it's a starting point. You're a nation. The Levites are mine. These guys camp this direction. In the tabernacle, the Gershonites, the Marites, the Kothites, they camp this direction. Everyone's got their spot. It's like orientation for the first day of school at a brand new high school. I remember when Tesoro High School opened up, right? I'm going to use an example. Tesoro High School down there in Mission Viejo, Calvary Chapel, I was a chaplain at Calvary Chapel football in 2000, and it was like Tesoro's first year, and they had a freshman football team playing varsity football, I always remember that, right? So it's a startup, so you, you're kind of building toward your fourth year with any sports program like that when you're in new high school. This is like a startup, everything is new. It's a new covenant. It's a new relationship. Here's your guidebook, Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. Here's where you camp. Here's your banner. Here's your identity. Here in the priesthood, here's what you do if you're a Gershonite. Here's what you do if you're a Marai. Here's what you do if you're one of the direct descendants of Aaron. You're facing the east. You're facing north. Everyone, go where you're going. Everyone's in their place. It's order. And God says, so now 
because the firstborn is mine, we're going to even we're going to even this out because so for every firstborn that I'm counting, there has to be a Levite and the Levites are 200 and, you know, 37 short. So that number that you get these numbers is going to go back to that more than likely God began his counting of the firstborn of Israel, not on that side of the Red Sea, but when they came through on the other side, when they officially came to the mountain and did everything. So that's, it's worth noting. I think contextually it's, it's, it's worth considering and just, we're, when will I ever teach numbers again verse by verse, right? I mean, I might, but it'd be a long time from now and I might forget my place. And right now I'm still holding it. So praise the Lord. And, uh, but I think I, I want to at least point that out because I want you to understand the more you know contextually the word of God, the more your applications will be sound in the power of the Holy Spirit and the more you'll stand strong until you breathe your last and leave this planet and go to glory like we're singing about earlier. This is all here and as it says in Corinthians, written for our admonition and this census is really important and the head for head, exactly the head for head Levite for firstborn is crucial to the Lord, and therefore it needs to be crucial and important to us. God keeps track of the details, and his redemption is no one gets lost in redemption. There's not 200, there's not a shekels for 236 Israelites missing on the head to head Levites. It's 237. You follow me? Do you understand my point? It's the details. God's not, there's no one going to be missing from heaven that needs to be there, and there's no one going to be there that shouldn't be there. If we're in the Lamb's book of life, our name's there. And if we're not, we're not. Shekel for shekel, five shekels, redemption, firstborn. Everything God does has purpose and order, and it's to encourage us in our faith. Now, we're going to read this fourth chapter. Again, there's a lot of text, but there's a couple really good application points, and we'll be done right on time. So we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. And again, I just want to say that what we just read about the head-to-head, it's a starting point. It's a starting point, zero Starting point, going forward, this is the way it is. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of the Levite by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who entered the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. Whoa, jackpot, bingo, right here. So every Levite gets counted one month old and above. We follow that, right? We all got that. And then the Israelite firstborns were counted to match up with that total. But now we have something new and insightful. When you actually show up for the first day on the job as a Levite, when do you show up? Your 30th birthday. Your 30th birthday. When did Jesus begin his ministry? 30. When did John the Baptist begin his ministry? Pretty much 30. 30th birthday. 30th birthday is when you began. In professional sports, a lot of times the zenith and the apex of a professional athlete's career is 30 to 35 even. We lose physical abilities on the back end of 30. It doesn't matter if you're Willie Mays or Michael Jordan. You lose some of those abilities. Or Joe Montana, I'm thinking of great athletes that you see their final chapters. It's not quite the same. And even Kelly Slater, the great surfer, can defy time. But he's, he's pushed another decade back, but he's not the surfer now in his late 40s that he was in his late 20s. 30 to 50 is the sweet spot. Let me say that again. For serving in the priesthood as a Levite, 30 to 50. It's a 20-year window, Bobby, like we were talking about earlier. It's a 20-year window. It's the sweet spot. 30 
to 50 is the sweet spot for the Levite serving. Which brings up at least an interesting thought we should consider. Because their service was spiritual and their service was practical. It was physically demanding. No 50-year-old male or female wants to be doing hard manual labor at 50. And can I get a witness? Amen. Woot, woot. Right? Okay, like, you know, for me, like, hey, yeah, I tried to avoid it my whole life anyways, but particularly once you click 50, it's like, man, I just, I can't do it. Like, when you're younger, people could, like, kind of manipulate you as a pastor, like, hey, Reverend, we need help moving, and you're kind of like, ah, you know, I'm the senior pastor of a small church somewhere, and you, you do all the heavy lifting, but then, like, after a while, it's like, you know, I don't even consider the moving anymore. Like, I don't, I don't do moving, all right? We can find people to do moving. I don't do moving. I don't do the heavy lifting because it's just, I'm 10 years past that as it stands. So this 30 to 50 window, and I want to talk to all of us in our different age, age groups here tonight because this is the key application for the night. The 30 to 50 window with the Lord, to me, gets my attention. Because 30, you're still young and strong. Like it says in 1 John, I write to you young men because you fought the devil and you know how to fight him. You know, there's something about being young and you're ready for a scrap. I write to you, old men, because you know the Lord and you've learned, you know him. There's something about when you get the back end, we're like, I know the Lord. It's all good. Like, God's got this. I'm not going to go crazy in the month of October in 2020 over what's going to happen in November. God's got this. Like, but when you're young, it's like, oh, man. You know, it's like when you're, you say, hey, 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 hey. You know, I write to you, old men, because you know the Lord and you've got fellowship with him and it's all good. See, at 30, you're young, you're strong, you're handsome, you're beautiful, and all these things are on the front end, and you're in front of your dreams and your vision, and you can just go for it. You, you know, a lot of times with college, you've carved out your career, you've got your credential, you've got your nursing, you, your doctorate, maybe even if you've been on in front of it and really powered out, you've got all those things, and you're carving out your career, and you're carving it for about 20 years, and at 50, you kind of are what you are. You're pretty much what you are. It's really hard to reinvent yourself at 50. 40, you can kind of reinvent yourself a little bit, but you're on the clock. But at 50, it kind of is what it is. And certainly at 60, it's just, again, I've mentioned my sister-in-law, my brother trying to find work now since COVID. No one wants to hire them. They're just older. They're on the way out. And uh, there's no interest in hiring them. But God says 30 to 50 for the Levites is a magic window. It's a sweet spot. So let's consider why is that a sweet spot? Again, you're young. You're young and vivacious in a lot of ways. You, you, have, you, you, you have dreams. You have visions. The future is yours. Now, what happens as you get older, and those either older know, understand this, but speaking to more of the younger people, you lose physical strength, but you should gain spiritual strength. And you should, as you lose some of that physical strength and you just can't do some of the things you want to. By the way, I get scared in six-foot surf now. I used to paddle out in 40-foot surf. I'm telling you, an eight-foot face, a 10-foot face in Oceanside, I'm like, <laughs> like, it's so weird. It's like, what happened to you, pipe master? Well, I'm 60. You know, I'm still riding a 5'10". Give me a break, right? But it's like, it's amazing how it all changes when you get older. Like, I'm like... I'm scared of a, a, it's weird. It's like, why am I so scared? I used to own this surf spot. Why am I so scared? Because you're 16, you know you get flogged right now. Okay, that's a good answer. That works, you know. It should scare most 60 people. People that are 60 surfing waves this big with this powerful and these big barrels. It should scare you, all right. Makes me feel better, but still, it is what it is. On that backside, you've lost a lot of that physical strength, but you've been seasoned by life. 
So you should be getting wiser in the Lord as you go. Each year, we talk about this, right? We should be growing. Every year, we should be more who we're meant to be at the end of the year than how we started out. And if you can do that year after year after year, you're ready for eternity at the end of every year. So as we are the outward woman, the outward man's perishing, but the inward man, the inward woman's being renewed, we're going from glory to glory. We should be growing in wisdom. And that's why we're told in Titus, the old men should be exhorting the younger men if they've grown in wisdom. Because they've lived experience. They've been married not for three years, but for 30. And the older women should be exhorting and encouraging the younger women. Because again, they've not been living a life and raising kids that are five years old. And they have the experience of five-year-olds. They have kids that are in their 30s or 40s. And they have wisdom from that. And they can help the younger women who have young children. That's how it should go. So we should be gaining wisdom and grace and understanding for what we're doing by the end. So 30 to 50, while you lose physical strength, you should be offering spiritual strength. And you should be offering wisdom to the other Kohathites, Marites, and the Gershonites. Like, hey, Pops, how come you're not lifting? Because I'm giving you wisdom. That's why I'm not lifting. You're lifting. And I'm going to give you wisdom so when you get to my age, you're not lifting and you're giving wisdom. So if you're approaching 30, on the, back, on the front side of 30, good for you. Get it together. And when you hit 30, hit it with traction with vision, power, passion, and everything you got, because you might even make 30. So you should approach 20 like you're not even guaranteed 30. But just know that's a sweet spot. And if you're on the back, if you're on the other side of 50, then we just need more wisdom. We just gotta have more wisdom and we keep needing to grow in grace so we can keep passing it on like Ann Graham Watts and Billy Graham and fear no man and fear no evil. The sweet spot, 30 to 50. And by the time you get to 50, if you've grown in wisdom, you know God's got your back, and he's going to take care of you, your family, your loved ones. Like we saw two weeks ago on Saturday night, he's our provider, he's our protector, and he's our presence. And that'll do us just fine. And if you get to 50 and you figure that out, you're great for the rest of the way. Because a lot of people get to 50, and they still can't trust the Lord, that he's their provider, their protector, and his presence. So... There's, I've always been fascinated since the time I got saved reading through the Bible about the 30-50 window in serving in the tabernacle service. So we're, again, if we're in front of it or in the heart of it or on the backside of it, use all that strength to gain that wisdom because on the backside, you'll lose strength. But we just want to be so full of wisdom and faith for our completion of our journey, but to pass on to the others who are on the front end of all these things. It's the sweet spot, 30 to 50. Now we read on. Verse 4. This is the service of the sons of Koath in the tabernacle of meeting, relating to the most holy things which the camp prepares to journey. Aaron and his sons shall come, and they'll take down the covering veil and cover the ark of testimony with it. Then they shall put on its covering badger skins and spread over that cloth entirely of blue. They shall insert its poles. Remember, they carry with poles these special things from the tabernacle. On the table of showbread, they shall spread a blue cloth, put on its dishes, the pans, the bowls, the pitchers for pouring, and the showbread shall be on it. They shall spread over them a scarlet cloth and cover the same with covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles, and they shall take a blue cloth, cover the lampstand of the light with its lamps, its wick trimmers, its trays, all of its oil vessels with which they service it, and they shall put it with it all of its utensils in a covering of badger skins and put it on a carrying beam." Over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover the covering of badger skins and they shall insert its poles. Then they shall take all the utensils of the service which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in the blue cloth, cover them with the covering of badger skins and put them on a carrying beam. Also they shall take away the ashes from the altar, spread a purple cloth over it. 
they shall put it in its implements with which they minister there, the fire pan, the forks, the shovels, the basins, and all the utensils of the altar. And they shall spread on it a covering of badger skins and insert its poles. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Koath shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Koath are to carry. The appointed duty of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, is the oil for the light, the sweet incense, the daily grain offering, the anointing oil, the oversight of all tabernacle, all that's in it, with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Then the Lord spoke to Moses there and saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the families of the Kothites from among the Levites, but do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint each of them to his service in his task. But they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. So it was only... Aaron and his direct family that would cover the showbread table, the altar of incense, the lampstand, the, the, the Ten Commandments, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant. That's heavy stuff. That's just for the high priest, guys. That's, that's, big, that's big league ball right there. They cover it. That's the glory of the Lord. They put the badger skins, the blue cloths. Then the rest of the Kothites can come in, and they do what they do, carrying this stuff with the poles and whatnot. Verse 21. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take a census to the son of Gershon, by their father's house, by their families from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them all who enter and perform the service. To do the work in the tabernacle of meeting, this is the service of the families of the Gershonites in serving and carrying. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of meeting with its covering, the covering of badger skins that's on it, the screen for the door of the tabernacle meeting, the screen for the door of the gate of the court, the hanging of the court which are around the tabernacle and altar, and their cords, all the furnishings for their service, and all that is made for these things, so shall they serve. Very clear what they're doing. Verse 27. Aaron and his sons shall assign all the service on the sons of the Gershonites, all their task and all their service. And you shall appoint to them all the task as their duty. This is the service of the families of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting, and their duty shall be under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. So now see Ithamar, the other son, he's in charge of this practical stuff, this, these, this element of moving, he's over this. So it's all under big brother, but this direct part is under him. Verse 29. As for the sons of Merari, you shall number them by their families and by their father's house from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them. Everyone who enters the service to do the work of the tabernacle meeting, and this is what they must carry as all their service for the tabernacle meeting, the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, and the pillars around the court with their sockets, pegs and cords, with all their furnishings and all their service, you shall assign each man by name the item he must carry. This is the service of the families of the sons of the Merari, as all their service for the tabernacle meeting, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. And Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of Kothites by their families and by their father's house from 30 year olds old and above, even to 50 years old. Everyone who entered the service to work for the tabernacle of meeting. So again, this is a different number, right? Everything else previously, the 22,000 was, uh, that was one, year old, one month old and above, but this is the 30 to 50 window. Verse 36, and those who are numbered by their families were 2,750. These are the ones who are numbered the families of the Kothites, all who might serve in the tabernacle meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And those who are numbered the sons of Gershon by their families and by their fathers' houses from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for work in the tabernacle meeting, those who are numbered by their families by their fathers' house were 2,630. These are the ones who are numbered the families of the sons of Gershon, 
all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord. Those are the families of the sons of Merari who are numbered by their families, by their father's house from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for working the tabernacle of meeting. Those who were numbered by their families were 3,200. These are the ones who are numbered of the families of the sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. All who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel numbered by their families and by their father's house from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who came to do the work of the service and the work of bearing the burden, the burdens in the tabernacle meeting, those who were numbered were 8,580. According to the commandment of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service, each according to his task. Thus they were numbered by him as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, if you recall, when we did Aaron changing the showbread, that was his job, right? With the Leviticus, we did a whole topical on your specific job. And as a reaffirmation, I just close with pointing out this verse. Verse 19 says that Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and task. And then it says later on in verse 32, you shall assign to each man by name the items he must carry. And then again, we saw that here in the very latter part, that each according to his service, according to his task. It just reminds us that we have a service and we have a task. So I just want to leave this thought with you that no one got lost in the shuffle. This isn't volunteerism where you can have a bunch of people show up to volunteer like at a Thanksgiving feast and serve food or whatever, you know. This isn't volunteerism. This is called, ordained, and anointed to do a task. And right down to each person, hey, you, are you, yeah, where are you from? Mararite, right? You're Marara? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're from the family of Mushi. Yeah, yeah, I've seen, seen your uncle around, yeah. Hey, look, dude, every time we break camp, you carry this. But those beams right there? Yeah, every time. Beams two, three, and four from the southwest sector of the tabernacle. You carry them. So what are you going to do every time we break camp? I'm going to carry beams two, three, and four from the southwest sector. Right. Every time. Right? Hey, represent Marari. Mushy, the family line. Hey, I'm serious, dude. We're going to break camp so many times in the next 40 years. I don't want to be looking for you when I see planks two, three, and four right here. That is your job. Every time, I don't want to come looking for you. I need to know that you're going to move planks two, three, and four every time Aaron and the boys come in and cover up these, the altar of incense and the, the, the tabernacle. You got it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay. And be on time. Show up early. Do your job. Under promise, over, over accomplish, and carry those three planks every time for the next 38 years. We good? Yeah, we're good. All right. So what's that for us? See, because I'm trying to press in right now in October and really, really make sure I know what planks are mine to carry and carry them like a mad dog in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I mean that positively, not like a rabbit dog, but like it's like, rah, rah. You like, like just like really... It's no time to be lumbering your planks around right now. Show up early, know which ones are yours, pick them up, and start trucking down the road with those planks with a song in your heart and a vision of the king coming.